Hi, it's Jordan from the Poop Plus Podcast. And just so we can get some legal stuff out of the way, while the Poop Plus Podcast makes a solid effort to be accurate in the topics we discuss, all thoughts and opinions of the hosts and guests are their own and should not be portrayed as actual medical advice. Remember, we are a podcast that talks about poop. And even though there are professionals present, you should never take any of the discussions in this episode as actual medical advice. We are a poop cast for goodness sakes. If you have any concerns about your health, please consult your doctor or other medical professionals for advice. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Poop Plus Podcast. We are so excited to bring you a podcast that is dedicated to uh, normalizing poop conversation and discussing all things number two. I am your host, Jordan Arredondo, and along with my good friend, Bobby Malone, we discuss with our guests a usually uncomfortable but quite humorous topic, poop. Welcome to part one of a two-part episode on digestion. This episode is a quick look at the digestive system and the journey food and liquid makes through our bodies. In part one of this episode, some of the topics we discuss include the upper portion of the human digestive system, the organs involved in the digestive process, heartburn, and what is a bolus. Over this episode's two parts, we will go from tip to tail, beginning to end, face to butt, front to back, fruity to booty, start to finish, smack to crack, chew to poo. Well, you get the idea. In this episode, Bobby and I are joined by Bridget Petrowski, a physician's assistant in Austin, Texas. She has a master's of public health from the University of Texas School of Public Health and a PA MSHS from George Washington University. Bridget and I actually used to be co-workers at a clinic during some of my time as a medical assistant. She is married to her husband, Brandon, and they have two kids, Vera and Noah, along with a puppy named Percy. Thank you for listening. We hope you have fun, laugh, learn, and get a little uncomfortable now, only to find yourself more comfortable to talk about poop later. Welcome to the Poop Plus Podcast, Episode 1, Poop Plus Digestion, Part 1. Hey, Bridget, what's going on? Hey guys, not much. Hey Bridget. Hey Bobby. This really is the foundation of kind of what we talk about every single episode, which is the digestive system. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's start off with just a couple of questions. Why are you here today? Well, I love talking about poop. We talk about it in our house all the time and I love science and the body and you're a friend of mine and when you asked me to do it I thought it'd be super fun so that's why I'm here and hopefully I can share some things that people may not know already um, or maybe further their knowledge of the digestive system and my second question is when was the last time that you pooped this morning now I'm is a that a morning pooper I'm a regular morning pooper not like my husband Brandon is like rolls out of bed and within 10 minutes he's going to the bathroom i am have a cup of coffee move around and then i've got to go yes let's hear it yeah. for the regular poopers let's hear it for the coffee poopers yeah that's a great that needs to be something a bumper sticker or a t-shirt like the, the regular poopers. poop club rpc like <laughs> 
one of the things that I wanted to to make sure that happened in this episode is that the listener got uh, a really good idea of the digestive system. It is probably one of the most complicated systems. It is the only system that is open all the time to the external world. We're going to start with the um, upper GI tract and we're going to move into the um, the lower GI tract. So people know what the upper GI tract is. We're talking about the mouth, esophagus, and stomach. Those are the main players in the upper GI tract. And then when you get to the small intestine, low intestine, lower intestine, uh, excuse me, large intestine, rectum and anus, that's the um, lower GI tract. The digestive system is called different names and there's some terminology and some things that we want you to understand maybe before we get into the actual GI tract. Gastrointestinal, so people know we're talking about the stomach, the intestines, also known as the GI tract, right? So that's just another way to say it. Some people, this is old, alimentary canal, is that? I don't ever use that word. And I've never heard yeah. anybody else use that word, but. I love, I love, I, that's what I like to call it, to be honest with the you. Element. So is that the British version of this show? That's a great, is that, I don't know. It's a, British word, elementary you're saying that that is another term for the GI tract that's just outdated yes. at this point well I don't know if it's outdated but I like going through school I was very rarely ever referred to as that but it's interesting Maybe I'm sure you can dig out thing. some old yeah or regional. It's it's a regional Eastern European. yeah <laughs> regardless all these words we're just talking about the esophagus, stomach, small intestine, large intestine, that process, digest, and um, absorb our food. Digestion, absorption, motility, um, and then secretion. So digestion is how your body makes food absorbable. So you can have um, chemical digestion and mechanical digestion. And mechanical digestion is, think about your teeth, right? So the, you're grinding, you're breaking it down. That's the mechanical digestion. And then chemical digestion is things where we get enzymes and um, hydrochloric acid and you know things coming in from the accessory organs that help break down the food even further. So that's all digestion. And then absorption is that is once it's been broken down, um, it's now absorbed into Correct. our body. Yeah. So you are actively or passively absorbing the nutrients from the food that you eat. So that's that's all going on as well. So you get digestion, absorption, and then motility like you spoke to. So there's a really cool peristalsis is the word, meaning it's just, I guess, waves, right? So it's these contractions that happen in different parts of the GI tract that help move food from top to bottom. And peristalsis only occurs in one way. It does not go both ways which is good because otherwise you'd be having poop come up the wrong way and nobody wants that. As much as I like to talk about poop, uh, it's definitely not, <laughs> that's something that, uh, that, is, that sounds interesting. So we talk about secretion. We're talking about when um, through various processes or various times in the, as food goes through the GI tract that substances are secreted to help break down food. So for example, salivary glands are going to secrete amylase and you're going to have pancreas secreting enzymes, the liver, the bile ducts secreting enzymes. One other term that you will see throughout the entire process of the digestive system is the term sphincter. Um, everyone has felt their sphincter at some point in their life. You've, everyone listening has felt 
there's particularly the anal sphincter that's at true some point in their life so that everyone knows if you don't know exactly what it is when you have to clench because you're not going to get to the bathroom in time that's your sphincter the primary organs uh bridget you already kind of talked about a little bit was the you know the the mouth the esophagus the stomach small intestine large intestine and the anus uh, it is considered an organ and the accessory organs, which you've also spoken about, is the gallbladder, liver, and pancreas. Correct. And the human digestive system, the entire from, you know, mouth to butt, is about, about 26 feet long. And it said that the area is about the size of a tennis court, which I thought was really... That's wild. Isn't that wild? Yeah. They, they um, must mean all the soft tissue, just what it takes to create those organs, right? No, I think they mean, so like when you talk about the, when we get into the small intestine and that's the lower GI tract, it has the lining of it has these finger-like projections called villi. And then those villi have finger-like projections called microvilli. And so each of those tiny little projections increases the surface area. So and it's then the, so you, it's like folds on folds on folds, right? So think about like tiny origami folded paper or when you're in the line at TSA, right? When you, how many people can you fit in a tiny area? You're going to fold them or go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's what your, um, a lot of your small intestine and large intestine are like. I like how you went to TSA and my first thought was Disney. I was like, Disneyland. <laughs> I've never been. So maybe that's why. But that's, that's a whole nother episode. Those are two completely different bowel movements. Uh, yeah. you know, PSA and Disney World. Uh, you know, one's very efficient, like every <laughs> every morning. It, yeah. It's gonna go really well. Oh. Jordan, you're like a TSA guy. Are you like the type of pooper that takes like a good 30, 45 minutes? You've got to sit there and I am the type of pooper that when you have pressure put against your your rectum, um, it it it, it allows you to go, oh, I need to go, right? And so I always wait for that. Um, I've had I had some issues with constipation like a while back. And so I was like pushing, like I was like, I got to poop, I got to poop, like this stuff that's got to come out of me. And um, I, so I was giving, I was, it actually ended up getting uh, um, a hemorrhoid, like internal hemorrhoids. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to go get a colonoscopy, because I thought that something was wrong with me, I was like, he was, the doctor was like, yeah, you've got internal hemorrhoids. And it was from that because I was putting too much pressure. So he said, Hey, just wait for it to knock on the door. And I was like, very interesting. I will, I will wait it for it to knock on the door and then I'll let it in or well, really let it, let it out. Jordan, are we taking the journey now? Are we moving into the journey of the digestive system? Yes, we are going on a journey and, you know, let's pack a, a lunch, actually maybe a lunch and dinner and uh, plenty of water because it's uh it, it's it's going to be it's a long one so yeah and depending on your genetics you might pop out in 24 hours or 72 hours you never know so that's about the time it can take for people from chewing to pooping oh i thought you were gonna say chewing to pooing oh that would be good so let's try that that's how long it can take from <laughs> chewing to pooing oh, love it so once food comes in, you start to chew that stimulates your salivary glands to excrete saliva. And what does saliva do? It moistens your food to make it easier to swallow. Plus saliva has enzymes that will break down your food. So you have three salivary glands. You've got the sublingual glands. Those are under your tongue. You've got your submandibular glands. Those are under the jawbone and the parotid glands, 
which is near kind of where you get TMJ, so the hinge of the jaw. So fun fact, mumps was a childhood illness that we don't get so much anymore, but that's when your parotid glands get really inflamed. So interesting. Side note, total side note. I love, love, love Sour Patch Kids. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking of Sour Patch Kids right now, and my parotid glands are, they kind of ache a little bit because it's like so stimulating to me. Um, but what I, what I would challenge people to do, uh, whether it be listening or just in normal life is to sit there and just, just sit there and with nothing in your mouth and just, and just feel, especially you can really feel your, uh, sublingual gland underneath your tongue. You can feel it secreting. Um, even if you're just sitting there and think about food and, and a food that you really like, and it actually will probably be secreting even more. Or the secretion That's will be the, elevated. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But the Pavlov's dog that everyone's probably heard of mm-hmm. was that, right? So it's getting the parasympathetic stimulation of the brain to have that reaction to a specific stimulus for you. That's Sour Patch Kids. For others, who knows? So we're in the mouth. We've got, we're getting chewed. Our teeth are doing their job. Saliva's being secreted. So then what happens? you, as your food is being chewed, it gets, depending upon how long you chew it, right? Did your parents tell you to chew your food 23 times? You said, or 32 times, or there was a specific number. That's my dad would have us chew. (laughs) You should try it. It hurts. It doesn't. Did you ever get lockjaw and be like, I can't, (laughs) I can't chew anymore, dad. Why I have TMJ issues as an adult, but I definitely remember 20 for some reason. Was it 20? Yeah, I thought it was like 23. And I like the specificity of 23. Yeah. So that really helps you break down the food. So once you've done that, your food is now in a mass called a bolus or really just like a ball of food. And so the reason we do that, it's easier for that to get swallowed and to go down into your esophagus. Fun fact, the uh, digestive system is the only one that has skeletal muscle and smooth muscle in it. The skeletal muscle aspects are all in the mouth, right? So that's the muscles of your mouth that help you chew. And then everything else is smooth muscle, but that's kind of sets it apart. Anyway, so we've swallowed. Our food is going down the esophagus. And I read this recently that I thought was super interesting. It takes seven seconds for food to go from um, the mouth or in this obvious to the stomach. Like that's pretty quick when you swallow. Maybe it doesn't seem like long, but seven seconds to travel. Do you think that that's all peristalsis or do you think that that's part gravity? I think it's mostly peristalsis because have you ever had something stuck in your throat before? <laughs> and that's, I mean, it should be headed down, but it gets stuck and that is terrible. That's true. So I think it's, peristalsis is just that, I'm sure there is some gravity component to it, but I think it's the, motion of the, the muscle that's motion, helping yeah, yeah. That, that and that's why down. i like to say like once you swallow it it's like autopilot it's like you don't yeah. have to worry about it you're exactly it's on autopilot it's takes unless over it comes it's... up unless you get nauseous you yeah. don't have to do anything well even then that's usually vomiting is an involuntary reflex usually right so you just have to open your mouth but other than that <laughs> Conscious decision. <laughs> Good point. So, okay. So it's in the esophagus. What is the esophagus? It's another hollow tube. And there's a few of those in the, in the GI tract, but it connects the mouth to the stomach. 
And so it is actually runs alongside the trachea, which allows wind or air into your lungs. So it's a separate system than that, but right next to it, right? So you have systems that help protect keeping food out of the trachea into the esophagus, right? So if you've ever gotten food down the wrong pipe, you know, people used to say that, or oh, I choke on something, or I got water and you have to cough it up. It's because it didn't get into the esophagus, it went into the trachea. But so normally when you're swallowing, you've got good function, it goes into the esophagus, the peristalsis kicks in, it's moving down, it hits the lower esophageal sphincter. We should have some sort of bell every time you sphincter. There's five, um, there's five sphincters five. Or, there you go. Uh, or, or those types of contractions and yeah. relaxations. So this so is, oh, this ahead. would be, this would be the door basically that goes from the esophagus end of the stomach, right? It's more of like a purse string than a door. So it doesn't like open and close like a door would. It's more like a cinching of a sack, if that makes sense, right? Like if you were to pull on a marble sack, that's the only thing I can think of, right? And then it would close the lid and then you can open it up. So it's not so much like an open shut of a door. Um, so then the sphincter allows food in and down. Um, and it, if it's functioning properly, keeps the stomach acid and juices from coming back up. When it's not functioning properly, which can happen for a whole host of reasons, that's heartburn. So, and, and Bobby, then you can have Bobby all knows about heartburn. Yeah, yeah, I, th that runs in my family. And, and honestly, the reason I was asking you that question is my my dad had esophageal cancer because of that specific sphincter allowing acid to come back wow. up the esophagus and burn the inside of the esophagus so um yeah that's a, a so do you bear it's esophagus is that what yeah. he had yeah yeah, yeah. Um, that's pretty so. great so my dad has esophageal strictures so that's another thing that can happen right so if you have reflux or acid for a long period of time what happens it so think about it as like it's burning and scalding the lining, right? So it's creating all these scar tissues. And scar tissue is not very pliable, right? Scar tissue is really stiff and it doesn't move much. And so when you're swallowing, it just makes your esophagus smaller and smaller and smaller. So with these strictures, then you have to go in and have them actually like physically you have a endoscopy opened up so you can swallow food again. So that's another consequence of a poorly functioning esophageal sphincter. I've known somebody yeah. who in the same day got an endoscopy and a colonoscopy well, a in the same day. Yeah. Front and back. Nice. I thought I had a rough day today. That's, <laughs> that's uh, a different perspective. So we're in the stomach. Woo! So the stomach, AKA the gut, it is pretty rad. It's like the size of your fist, right? So just at rest, nothing in it. It's about the size of your fist. It can expand up to 20 times its normal size, which we all know has happened after eating an enormous meal, right? Like Thanksgiving, you've had too much to eat. Your stomach feels huge. Well, it actually physically can get 20 times, which is crazy. Like how, think about 20 fists. That's nuts. And it can hold up to two liters of food, right? Food and fluid when it's fully expanded. The other thing I think is really cool about it is it secretes these gastric juices that are stomach juices. That's the pH is between one and a half and two and a half. And to like put that into perspective, right? Battery acid is zero. So your stomach acid is close to battery acid, which is great. So that's a zero on the pH. So that's the lowest you can get. And then like lemon juice, vinegar, and Coke is about a two, right? So that's your stomach acid is kind of in there. And that works really well because it breaks down food, but it can also kill bacteria, 
which is why, because a lot of bacteria and viruses cannot live in such an acidic environment. So the reason we're able to enjoy sushi, most of us, and eat it raw or have a, a medium rare steak or a rare steak, I guess, to some extent, for those out there that really like the bleeders, um, yeah. that's part of one of the reasons why we're able to do that and feel normal because of the hydrochloric acid. So that along with there's other secretions that that happen in the stomach that start to break down, uh, to continue to break down, I should say, because uh, 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 the digestion and secretions and starting to break down of, I believe it's carbohydrates um, is in the mouth and then in the stomach that still, that continues. Right. And then you're starting to break down some proteins and some fat um, as well once you get into the stomach. So gastric emptying, so the full, it's pretty cool. So two hours, about two hours after you meet, eat, about half of your stomach contents are gone. And then it takes between five to six hours for all of the contents you've eaten to be emptied. So if you think, you know, if you're constantly eating, which sometimes we tend to do, especially in this society, you're really not giving your digestive system any time to rest and repair, and you're constantly in this acidic environment. So that's what could be another reason why people really suffer from reflux. We just don't give our digestive system any time to rest. So it's not a terrible idea to at least wait two hours to three hours between meals, you know, so at least you're half empty. Um, that's just my two cents. I never really thought about that. I'm a huge snacker. I would, if, if there was a charcuterie board at every location I showed up at, <laughs> I, I would snack. I mean, I'd still try snack to some extent constantly, especially when I'm at home, but I've gotten better about it. And I, I think constantly eating, I guess what, you know, what you're saying is your body is not one, it's not emptying completely, but two, it's like, you could go through a day where like I do sometimes, and I poop like four or five times in one day. If you do maybe have more regularity in your meals, then maybe you, maybe I need to, to look at more regular, regulatory meals makes for regulatory poop. Maybe that's what I need to figure out, try to see if my body will do. I think your body likes consistency. I, we operate like that. It helps um, even set like circadian rhythms. Did you know that? So like eating at regular intervals can help set your circadian rhythm and can help with sleep and stuff as you, so for people who suffer with insomnia, not eating at least like two hours before you go to bed can be very helpful. That way your body is actively, it's like in a um, resting state. So it's not actively doing digestion. So is that true? Cause like you hear all the time, you're like, if you eat right before you go to bed, your body is stimulated because it's trying yeah. to digest this food. And so you're really not able to get into a really good sleep rhythm. Yeah. I was just reading about that today, basically that. So for circadian rhythms and, and how our even uh, saliva is secreted on a circadian rhythm, which is pretty interesting too, but it, Yes, the amount. So eating regularly can kind of set the tone for your body to say like, okay, it's a morning meal, it's a afternoon meal, it's an evening meal, and then there's this rest time. So all of that kind of gives it the cues in addition to other things, right? That tell sets your body's internal clock. So it sets you up for better sleep. Hmm. And then you're also less likely to get heartburn when you lay down. You're less likely to feel bloated and have gas as your body's processing stuff. So there's a lot of other reasons, but to not eat right before you get to bed. Well, um, I guess it makes sense, right? If you're talking about gravity, right? If you eat and then you lay down, 
the thing is, is that that sphincter, that low esophageal mm-hmm. sphincter is opening and closing. And if you, Correct. if you're laying down, then there's no gravity to help out. Um, and, but Bob, I think is yours hereditary? Yeah. I mean, I would say that it is, uh, but I mean, I, I was lucky that I knew about it way earlier in my life than my dad. Um, you know, like this, this kind of, uh, research, you know, in the, in the eighties and nineties, when he was having all of the same symptoms that I did when I was younger, they didn't really know what it was. Well, I, I shouldn't say that they don't have the research that they do now on it. And so, you know, he's, he's actually gone through since, um, they had to cut the bottom of his esophagus and the top of his stomach and fused it together, which actually cut out that particular, I'm going to forget the name of it again. I'm going to look the lower esophageal sphincter, like is not a part of his process anymore. So he has to rely on gravity. Um, there's also a nerve that's attached to that, that basically tells it when to open and when to close, mm-hmm. um, that in that surgery was removed. They cut that nerve, which means it, it's basically not going to function for him anymore. What does that do it, uh, for him? He doesn't know when he's full. He has yep. to manage that now with the amount of food he actually intakes. He doesn't have any of those cues. It's like, oh, I, I've had... I've had too much to eat. So that's kind of interesting. interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. So we're digesting proteins, fats, the hydrochloric acid is going and partially digested food is now called chyme, which I think is a crazy word, but super interesting. It's probably like moist for some people. Like it just, oh, don't say that word <laughs> or panties, depending on who you are. Those, <laughs> those tend to be the, you, okay. Chyme. So yeah. So now I'll say them Spell all that. together. Chyme is C-H-Y-M-E. And what is chyme. that? So chyme is the word we use for partially digested food that is mixed with gastric juices. That's what then travels from the stomach through the pyloric sphincter into the small intestine to the lower GI tract. Thank you for listening to part one of a two-part episode on digestion. Want to hear more from Bobby and myself? You can currently find us on Apple Podcasts or check out the Podbean app on Instagram at poop.plus.podcast or email us at poop.plus.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Questions, comments, poop jokes, poop puns, or just to say hi. We hope you will tune into part two of the first episode of this podcast, where Bobby and I will be with Bridget again, discussing the lower section of the GI tract. Thank you again, and we will catch you on the other side of the flush. Mm